are continuing our series, Encountering Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus in the temple, pouring out money, turning over tables, making a whip. What is, what is that all about? And so we're going to talk about encountering Jesus at the temple. But before we do that, here's a pop quiz, okay? And I, I, I need some participation. When I say this word, heaven and blank, that heaven and blank, what do you think goes in the, in the blank? Heaven and Oh, that was good. That wasn't what I was expecting you to say. See, when I have something I think you're going to... That's good. See, because when I... I always would have filled in that blank with hell. Heaven and hell. In fact, that was always the, the juxtaposition, the dichotomy that I always heard and thought about was heaven and hell. But in my Bible, and your Bible may have a verse or two, I'm not sure, but, but in my Bible... I can't ever find heaven and hell in the same verse. That's not the juxtaposition, the dichotomy, the comparison that the Bible makes. Heaven and hell aren't in the same category. You're right that when the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. The place of God, the invisible realm of God, and then earth, the place of human beings, the, the visible realm, the invisible realm, the visible realm, the, the place of God, the place of man. That's what the Bible talks about. And, and throughout scripture, there have been these places that are sort of both heavenly and earthly. We might say they're, they're intersections of heaven and earth, meeting places of heaven and earth. So let's look at the next slide and, and let's go through some of those places. And I think you're aware of this and, and probably it'll make sense as we go through. But, but the Garden of Eden, that was such a place, a place where man was, obviously. So the garden was a place where man was. It was an earthly place, but it was also a place where God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Genesis chapter three and verse eight. That's the next one. There we go. And then the next one is Bethel. You remember in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob has this dream, this vision. We've talked about this a couple times in our series already, but, but Jacob is, is having this vision of a staircase or a ladder and angels ascending and descending. And when he wakes up, here's what he says, Genesis 28, 16 and 17. It says, he woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And Jacob was afraid and said, how, I like this, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So that's what Bethel means. It means house of God. So the Garden of Eden, a place that's both for man and God, Bethel, a place that's a meeting place, an intersection, a gateway between heaven and earth. The tabernacle was another one of those places, right? A moving, holy place. A place where God's presence is, but also where man can, granted in a limited way, approach the presence of God. So the tabernacle and Bethel and the Garden of Eden, these are holy 
places. When we say holy, one of the words we like to replace that with is otherly, right? It's different. It's not a a usual place. It's not an ordinary place. It's not a place like other places. This is a place where God is. This is a holy place. You remember the, the, the burning bush? That would be another example, wouldn't it? And God told Moses, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Why is it holy? Because God is there. This is an intersection, a meeting place. A gateway between heaven and earth, a meeting of the the spiritual realm and the earthly realm. So the tabernacle is a place like that. And then eventually the tabernacle, the tent, was replaced with the more permanent temple. And that's what a temple is. A temple is a place that is an intersection between heaven and earth. A, A meeting place of God and man. Maybe that's the best way to put it, is these are places where God and man Meet. In fact, that's the amazing and beautiful big picture of the Bible, isn't it? That God loves human beings and he wants to be with them. Heaven and earth coming together. A place where human beings can come and worship God and experience God. And we sort of have a hard time really kind of contemplating and understanding holy places. But again, if we sort of think of them in these categories, I think it will help us. But we also have to understand that what happened in all of these places at one time or another was that human beings defiled these places, right? The Garden of Eden, they defiled that place. And because they defiled it, they they broke that connection and that relationship with God. They were expelled from the garden. And at Bethel, eventually they worshipped idols in that place that was supposed to be a house of God. And the tabernacle, in the temple, when human beings sin, they, they break that relationship with God. And we call that defiling That holy place, a place that's supposed to be this intersection and this meeting place for God and humans, and then human beings have had this tendency to defile those holy places. So with that in mind, look at John chapter 2 and verse 13. Now the temple, again, that's supposed to be a holy place, a place that's both heavenly and earthly, a place where people can come, where human beings can come forgiven and and cleansed and purified and made holy and they can worship and experience God in the temple. And it says in John chapter 2 and verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now I just kind of want you to take note of those four things, okay? You see them? Oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers. Now, if you read the what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the way they tell this event, maybe it's a different event, it's just similar, maybe Jesus cleansed the temple twice, that's what some people believe. But but if you read those synoptic accounts, it's a little bit different in how this story is sort of laid out. But I kind of want you to just register those things in your mind. Oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers. And so John says, Jesus walks in and there's all of this all of this going on in the temple. And when we read further, we know that, that 
the money changers are taking advantage of people, they're stealing people, they're extorting people, they're charging too much, they're switching one type of coin for a different type of coin, and they're robbing people in the process. But that's really not the emphasis in this particular gospel account. It says in verse 15, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. Now, I think this is verse 15, next verse. This is an unfortunate, I think, uh, translation. It says, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. I think the NIV translates it better. It says, both the sheep and oxen. Making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Now, do you notice... The four things that John said, Jesus walked in and he saw all of these things. He saw people selling sheep and oxen and he saw people at the money changing tables and he saw people selling pigeons. And then John goes through. And what I want you to realize is it's very systematic, isn't it? We sort of picture Jesus like outraged, like just totally out of control and he's just flipping stuff over and he's just mad and angry. He's just doing all kinds of, that's not really how John lays it out. It's very systematic. He walks in and, he, and he, finds, he finds all kinds of things going on that shouldn't be going on. And it says that he makes a, a, a whip to do what? I mean, sometimes we, we act like Jesus is whipping people. Does that sound like Jesus to you? Everything you know about Jesus, does that sound like Jesus to you? A, a better way, again, a better way of reading the text is that he used the whip to drive out both the sheep and the ox and the cattle. That's what he used the whip for to drive out the animals. And then, again, John goes through systematically to say he took care of the sheep and he took care of the oxen. He took care of the money-changing tables. And then he went up to the people that were selling pigeons and said, get these things out of here. And again, we, we have this tendency to picture Jesus as just being outraged and out of control. But it's more like, you know, you know those movies where there's teenagers or college kids and they're, they're parents are gone, you know, and, and they're throwing a party and they're doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, you know, you've seen scenes like that in movies, and then dad comes home, right, and unexpectedly dad shows up and he pulls up in the driveway and he sees all these cars and he sees kids hanging out the windows and all kinds of things, and he walks in, and what does he do? Is he angry? Well, sure, absolutely he's angry. Is he rightfully angry? Yes, he's rightfully angry. Why? Because there's stuff going on that shouldn't be going on. This isn't, this isn't appropriate, and the things that are going on are inappropriate. Does he hurt people? No, of course he doesn't hurt people. Does he break things? No, it's his house. He sets things in order. That's what he's there to do, to walk in and say, okay, kids, the party's over. This has got to stop. And if there's four or five things that are going on that shouldn't be going on, systematically, he's going to go one by one and take care of those things. He's going to pour the things down the drain that need to be poured down the drain. He's going to throw out the things that need to be thrown out. He's going to tell the people to leave that need to leave. But systematically, he's going to go room by room and set in order the things that are broken because it's his house. He's not out of control He's very much in control, and he's, he's not out of order. He's setting things in order. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is doing? He's walking into this place that is a holy place. 
A place that is supposed to be the intersection between heaven and earth. And he starts setting things right. And taking out the things that aren't supposed to be there. The the party's over. It's time for restoration. It's time for things to be set right. Now, look at the next part of verse 16. The latter part of verse 16. He says this. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, let's kind of walk through that for just a second. My, who, whose house does he say the temple is? My father's, right? And, and that's a theme. We've talked about it already as we've been going through the book of John. And as we continue through the book of John, this is one of the most important themes. And it isn't necessarily a claim to deity, although it becomes one And John is, of all the gospel accounts, making the claim very clearly that Jesus is Yahweh. But when Jesus says, God is my Father, we talked about Psalm 2, you remember? That Jesus is partnered together with God. That God, the Father, has partnered with Jesus, his Son, to set things right And so that's what Jesus is saying when he says, get out, all of this stuff, it's got to go. This money-changing tables, it's got to go. These sheep, these oxen, they've got to go. These pigeons, get them out of here. Because this is my father's house. God has partnered together with me to restore things, to set things right. Again, that's a huge claim, isn't it? And then he says, this is my father's house. This is God's house. A place that's supposed to be holy and sacred. A place for worship. A place for the people of earth to connect with the one of heaven. This is not an ordinary place. This is an extraordinary place. This is an otherly place. This is a holy place. This is a meeting place of heaven and earth. As Jacob said when he woke up in Bethel and he saw what he saw in his vision and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending, he said, this is an awesome place. This is my father's House, Jesus says. But you have made it what? A house of trade. And the Greek word there is emporion, where we get the word emporium, right? You, you've made it a marketplace. Now, in the other gospel accounts, the emphasis will be on the fact that they've made it a den of thieves. But in, in John's gospel account, the emphasis here is that you've made this a common place. You've defiled this holy, special, awesome place, this meeting place of heaven and earth, and you've made it nothing more than a marketplace. This is my father's house, and you've made it a house of trade. You've made it a common place, and this has to stop. Now, look at verse 17. It says, His disciples remembered. So John, our narrator, is kind of inserting this and helping us to understand what's going on. His disciples remembered. And later on, Jesus is going to tell them, this this sort of remembrance stuff, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to help you to remember what you need to remember and, and know what you need to know. And so when John says this, verse 17, he's having a Holy Spirit remembrance moment. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house 
will consume me. Now this is a reference to Psalm 69 and verse 9. And in Psalm 69, there, there's this servant of God who is just so passionate about God and about the temple of God, the house of God. And he's oppressed and mistreated by everybody. Even his own family hates him and despises him and thinks he's strange and he, he's lost his mind and he's, he is totally in love with God. And that's the kind of zeal John says Jesus is displaying. Jesus is the embodiment of Psalm 69. Jesus desperately wants humans to be connected with God. Jesus desperately wants human beings to have the place where they can come together and be reconciled and worship and revere and experience God. That's what the temple was supposed to be. A place where humans could come together with God and zeal, passion, overwhelming passion for that truth and that reality consumed Jesus. Because he loves his Father. And he loves people. And he wants people to be connected to and worship and love and revere and experience God. Now, verse 18. So the Jews, and again, I say this every week, but the Jews, when John says that, he doesn't mean all Jewish people. He means the Jewish leaders. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? It's funny. I mean, they didn't say, you're wrong. <laughs> that shouldn't have happened. He ju- they just want to know, well, who do you think you are? <laughs> Right? It's one thing for dad to come home and there's a party going on and the dad to say, hey, stop all this nonsense, y'all gotta go and pour out the stuff down the, down the drain. It's one thing for dad to do that. It's a different thing for somebody else to show up and do that. Right? And you might not say you're wrong, but you might say, who do you think you are? Who died and made you the boss? Who do you think you are of doing this? And that's exactly what they're asking Jesus. What signs, what authority do you have? What proof do you have that you have partnered together with God, that God picked you to be the anointed one, to come in and to be prophet and priest and king and set things right, throw people out? Who gave you that authority? What proof do you have that you have such authority? Now, (laughs) here's Jesus' answer, and it's bizarre. And if you were standing there, you'd be like, well, I guess maybe he misunderstood our question. I don't know. Look, verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Wait, what? No, we want to know. Wait, did you hear the question? Because the question was, why, why do you think you can do this and show us a sign that says you have the authority from God to throw people out of the temple? I mean, you're, you're doing some pretty bold stuff. Where, where, do you, where do you get the idea that you have the right to do that? And Jesus says, okay, here's the evidence. Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. I don't understand. Their answer shows how bizarre they thought the question was. The Jews said to them, said to Jesus, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days? I mean, obviously they thought he was talking about the brick and stone temple that was right there in front of them, right? I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense in the conversation. But John helps us out, verse 21. Because he's telling this whole story 
so that his readers understand. The people standing there didn't have any idea, and his disciples even that heard the conversation, they were probably like, don't look at us, we don't know. I mean, that sounded strange to us too. I don't know what Jesus is talking about. But they know now, as John is writing this, he knows that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. The temple of his body. And and do you... Do you see that that's already been a theme in this gospel account? Do you remember in John chapter 1, he said that Jesus was the Word? And then he says, the Word became flesh. And in our English translations, it says, he dwelt among us. But the word there in the Hebrew mindset could also be used to, to talk about the tabernacle. Literally, he tabernacled among us. Like God pitching a tent with his people. You see what John, even in the, in the prologue, is beginning to claim about Jesus, that when the word of God came, he tabernacled. He was a holy place. He was the holy place, the meeting of heaven and earth, the coming together. And then, do you remember when Jesus is having the conversation, still in John chapter 1, with Nathaniel? And Nathaniel's blown away that Jesus says, hey, I saw you when you were out there by the tree. I saw you. And and Nathaniel's just blown away by that. And Jesus says, you're going to see even more amazing things than this. In fact, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Again, Jesus is claiming to be the house of God. And here John says, when Jesus said that, when he said, hey, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days, he wasn't talking about the stone and mortar temple. He was talking about the temple of his body because Jesus, all throughout this gospel account, is claiming, I am the true temple of God. I am the place where heaven and earth come together. I am the place where you come to meet God. I am the place where you come to revere and love and know and experience Yahweh. I am the temple of God, Jesus is saying. And then he says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered, and I want to say, spoiler alert, John, you know, I mean, did we know he was going to die? John assumes all throughout this gospel account that you already know Jesus is going to die and then he's going to be raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered, again, Holy Spirit remembrance, that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus, not the stone temple, was forevermore going to be the place where human beings can come and know and love and revere and experience God. That's the claim of this entire gospel account. And as we keep reading through the New New Testament, Paul helps us to understand that claim even better, doesn't he? In fact, Paul will help to explain that if you come to know Jesus... In fact, the way Paul tends to put it is that if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you put on Jesus in baptism, 
then your life gets so intertwined with his that you, in fact, become and participate in being the temple of God. What? Isn't that amazing? I mean, sometimes we're so familiar with this stuff, we, we fail to see it. It's right in front of our eyes. When you become one with Jesus, you participate in being the temple of God. This afternoon in your life group, I hope that you'll talk about that idea. What does that mean? That Jesus is the place where heaven and earth come together. Jesus is the place where you come to meet God and experience God and know God and have a relationship with God. Not not a building, not a spot on the earth, not a burning bush, but a person. And that as your life becomes intertwined with his, you participate in being the temple of God, the place where God lives and God dwells. The place, the person, the meeting point of heaven and earth so that when you go out into the world, God lives in you and that others can experience God as they experience you in Jesus Christ. So here's our moment of truth. If Jesus really is, here's our moment of truth. If Jesus really is the meeting point of heaven and earth. If he is the way that you can experience and know and love and worship God, then we still ought to ask the question about being defiled, shouldn't we? Because that's always been the problem. That human beings have come to a holy place, a tabernacle, a temple, a garden, a Bethel, and they've defiled it and broken their relationship with God. If Jesus is the meeting place of heaven and earth, is there anything defiling your relationship with him? He makes you holy. He purifies you. He makes you able to approach the throne of God with confidence and boldness. So what is it? if anything, that's going on in your life that's defiling you. Because if there's something in your life that's defiling your relationship with Jesus, then it's breaking your connection with God. And Jesus will say things like this. In Matthew chapter 15, he said, listen, it's not food. It's not food. It's not eating with unwashed hands that defiles you. It's things like evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, bearing false witness, slandering people. These are the things that defile you. (laughs) We have a a tendency nowadays, the world we live in, to sort of flaunt our defilement, I think. We have social media that we can do that with, huh? Whether it be sexual immorality or whether it be slandering people. Just saying whatever kind of wicked thing that comes into our mind to say about another human being. All the while missing the fact that as Christians, 
when we allow our relationship with Jesus to be defiled, we are walking away from the one point Jesus' claim, it's bold, it's exclusive, to say, I am the one meeting place of heaven and earth. If you want to know, and if you want to love, and you want to worship, and you want to experience God, then you do it through me. And when we decide we're just going to live our life however we want to live, and we're just going to be like everybody else around us, and we're just going to kind of do what we feel like doing, We're missing out on knowing and loving and worshiping and revering and experiencing God through Jesus. Jesus gave us instructions about how to live our lives, and he was serious about those things. And the foremost is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, if we don't love people, if we don't say, Jesus, you are the temple of God, and I want to be so intertwined with you, I want to know God through you, and walk in his footsteps, then we're missing our opportunity, the greatest opportunity that there has ever been to live in and be the temple of God. So here's my challenge for us this morning, is let Jesus cleanse your life the way he cleansed the temple. That's, that's what he wants to do, isn't it? To come in, to take out the things that shouldn't be there, the things that defile, the things that separate you from God, the things that are breaking your connection and relationship with God, take those out and pour them down the drain. Get rid of them. And set you right. I, I, think it's, I think it's unfortunate. We read this as like an out of control, angry Jesus. It's just breaking stuff. He's just mad. Was he mad? Sure, he was mad. Of course he was mad. But he was mad because he loves people. And he loves God. And he wants people and God to be reconciled. And he was cleansing and taking out of the way everything that comes between that. God and people coming together and you've got some stuff in your life maybe maybe things you've been looking at things you've been saying things you've been doing ways you've been walking and living that aren't that aren't like Jesus let him cleanse you let him walk into your heart and into your mind and take out the things that don't belong there restore you to God Jesus is the meeting place of heaven and earth. And he wants to bring us together with him. So if there's anything that's defiling our relationship with Jesus, let him cleanse your life the way he cleansed the temple. If there's anybody that hasn't responded to the invitation to be baptized, that's what baptism is all about. It's all about saying, I want you to cleanse me and restore me and make me whole. Make me holy so that I can know and love and worship and experience God. I want my life intertwined with yours, Jesus, because you are the house of God.
If you just need to come home or you just need prayers of these people here, we love you and we want to help you any way we can. So come forward as we stand and sing.